Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. He releases his last breath and breathes his last and goes into a tomb and there's silence for three days. But we know after the end of three days, the silence ends and the celebration begins. And next Sunday, we're going to celebrate that. But I want you to take some time this week and think through the journey of Jesus that should have been your journey. And as we celebrate next week, we're going to continue this. I'm sharing my personal story and testimony of how God's grace reached down literally and picked me up out of my mess and changed my direction of life, transformed me from somebody who was against God to someone passionately following him with everything that I am. And I'm going to share my story. It's going to encourage people. It's going to inspire people. And so we have three services, 8, 9.30, and 11.15. Here, I need two favors from you. One, if you come to this service already and you don't have kids in Chapel Kids, please come to the 8 a.m. service to open up space for the 9.30 and 11.15. I, I do believe it's going to be very full next Sunday. And so the shortest mission trip you can take is from moving from 9 a.m. to 8 a.m. So take a mission trip next week. No passport needed. Just come to 8 a.m. service. It'll be the exact same service, and that'll free up some things for the rest of the, the two services. The second thing is invite somebody that you know, and not just anybody that you know, but invite somebody who maybe a family member who's going through the, the junk of life or going through situations in life or someone who needs hope, someone who needs to understand the power of prayer, someone who just needs a, a shot or an infusion of faith in their lives, send them a text today and just say, hey, I'm going to be at church next week for Easter. Would you want to join me? Or share the Facebook thing that makes it easier than that. But we're going to continue today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We've talked about the first week, question number one of origin. Where do I come from? How was I created? How was I made? How was I designed? Am I by chance or am I by purpose? Then last week we talked about, is there meaning to life and what is that meaning? If I'm created, if I'm designed, God designs everything with a purpose or with meaning. And then we come to this week's question where there may be creation, there may be design, there may be origin, there may be purpose, but what about morality? What is right and what is wrong? What is good and what is evil and who determines that? And it's something that, especially in society, it seems like there's many different versions of good and evil or right and wrong. It seems like everyone has their opinion of this is okay and this is not okay. And depending on their viewpoint, determines on what they see and what they approve of. We call that moral relativism, which means right and wrong are determined based on people's opinions or viewpoint or perspective. That is why we have two different sides of the aisle in Congress that they each see one thing right, this sees it wrong, they see it right, they see it wrong, and we have people that see everything through these lens of what's right for me is right for me, what's wrong for you is wrong for you. And what it does, it creates a, a culture in a community where there's constant chaos and turmoil because there's no standard of right or wrong. It's like the little kid in class, the teacher was trying to teach the little kindergartners what is right, what is wrong. And she says, I'll give you an example. If I was to reach into a man's pocket and grab his wallet and steal his money out of there, what would that be? Who would I be? So obviously she's looking for the answer of, you know, he'd be a criminal. It's wrong to take somebody's money. Little boy in the back of the room, we'll call his name RJ, raises his hand up. He says, 
you would be his wife. (laughs) Right and wrong. What determines right or wrong? If there is a creator, I believe the creator should be able to set a standard of right or wrong. If there's not a creator, then right or wrong is based on whatever we think or feel, which leads us to Richard Dawkins, who is an evolutionist, a hardcore atheist. Here's what he views. Here's what he said. He said, if a woman is pregnant with a baby who has Down syndrome, he said it is immoral for her not to have an abortion and try again with another baby. The reason he could say that is because he doesn't believe in a creation, doesn't believe in a creator, therefore there's no purpose, therefore there's no value, therefore this is just an accident, there's no purpose to it. And see, once you remove the creator, you remove the standard. Once you remove the standard, then anything goes. And so when we look at culture, what we're seeing now is a culture where there is no longer a standard of right or wrong or good or evil. Everyone can determine their own standard. And what's crazy in the world, we're a world full of standards. I was reading an article a couple months ago, and there's a a prototype for what a kilogram should weigh that the International Bureau of Measurement and Standards, they have a kilogram from 1865 that is exactly 2.2 pounds. And it is the standard which every other kilogram is measured against. And since it's the standard, they protect it. It's in this sealed vault that's climate controlled with no moisture in these cylinders that protect it because what they've learned is that kilogram has started to change based on the climate or culture it's in, in the environment it's in. That kilogram that used to weigh 2.2 pounds now weighs 2.2 point something, something, something. It's starting to accumulate moisture and dust in other things, and so now they're trying to recalibrate the standard back to a standard. If we need a standard to measure weights and mass, if we need a standard for a kilogram, how much more of a standard do we need for right or wrong? If someone gets to determine the standard for a weight or a measurement, don't you think there should be someone who gets to set the standard for good and evil or right and wrong? And if there's a creator, I believe the creator should determine what is right and wrong. I believe the creator has the authority and the ability to say, this is good, this is evil. This is right, this is wrong. But what happens, what happens is we start to try to redefine good and evil based on our own terms. We start trying to change things and adapt things to fit us to make the standard a little bit easier. So this is the key point for today. God, the creator. Everybody say the creator. The creator sets the standard or defines good and evil and right and wrong based on his character. Meaning God gets to decide what is right and wrong based on who he is. Since he's all good, this is what good is. Anything that's not good is evil. Anything that's not godly is evil. He bases it on his character or his nature, his personality. God the creator sets the standard of right and wrong and good and evil based on his character. But we, the created, everybody say the created. Keep trying to redefine good and evil, right and wrong based on our character. What that means is God has a standard based on his character. It is so high that we cannot attain it. It's so incredibly pure, we cannot attain it. And since we can't attain it, 
we start trying to redefine it based on how good or how bad we are. Case in point, someone who has very bad morals will determine good and bad based on their morals. Someone who's really good will base good and bad based on their morals. And then that's when we start determining good and bad. We want to create a standard we can attain. This is what Jesus talked to the Pharisees about. They created a standard based on their character. And anybody else who didn't match their character was evil. Here's what it looks like today. If I don't deal with homosexuality, I believe homosexuality is the greatest evil of all. Why? Because it's not part of my character. I can place it in that category. But when it comes to gluttony or gossip, since I deal with those things, well, those things aren't as evil as that. They're kind of more in the middle ground. And then we fall into this chaos of recreating the standard of God based on our character. And what it really does is we start creating a God in our own image that looks and sounds and tastes and feels and judges just like us. If you would stand to your feet as we read Genesis chapter 2, verse 9 together. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. Genesis verse, chapter 2, verse 9. It says, And out of the ground the Lord God made spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life, everybody say tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Everybody say tree of knowledge. Tree of life and tree of knowledge. Skip down to verse 19. It says, now to the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field. Actually, verse 15. The Lord God looked at man and put him in the garden to eat and to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree. Everybody say every tree. You know what that is? The first commandment. And the first commandment was a commandment of freedom not bondage. God creates everything and says, you're free to eat of every tree. Like I made all this for you, you can do as you please in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it in the day that after you eat it, you shall surely die. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you are so clear and precise in your measurements and standards of who we should be. We thank you that good and evil are not blended together, right and wrong are not blended together. There's a standard, and that standard is your perfection that we see in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we can dismiss lies this morning, we can dismiss deception, and we begin to walk in the light of the truth of who you are. So Father, awaken our minds, awaken our hearts, awaken our spirits to please you in every single way. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Two trees a tree of life and a tree of knowledge. Two trees planted by God, both have two complete different purposes. Now there's a whole lot of other trees because God said, Adam, you can eat of any tree, every tree except for that one. You can eat of the tree of life, you can eat of these trees, but this tree of knowledge is off limits. And I've dealt with that for a while. Why would that be such a big deal? Why, why would it be such a big deal that God has given them this amazing amount of freedom, but all of a sudden, they can't eat of this one tree? I get to draw the day. Because it's not just knowledge, it's knowledge of good and evil. God says, I want you to live off the tree of life. 
I want you to live being fed by the tree of life. I want you to be sustained by the tree of life. I want you to experience the tree of life, but I don't want you eating or partaking of the tree of knowledge. So it's not just any type of knowledge. What kind of knowledge is it? Good and evil knowledge. When you break down that word knowledge in actually Hebrew in the pictograph, it is an eyeball with a door, which basically means it's not just knowledge, it's an experiential knowledge. So when God was saying, I want you to live off the tree of life, I don't want you to experience good and evil. I don't want you to learn through experience what evil is. I don't want you to learn through the pain of what evil is. I don't want you to learn through the consequences of what evil is. And it was about faith and trust in God and the life he gives us or our own experiences. There's a major difference between the two trees and it was such a difference. God said, listen, there's only one rule. You are in paradise. You have everything you could ever dream of. You have everything you could ever need, but there's one rule. Live out of me and what I can give you. Live dependent upon me and what I can supply you. Live based on what I can provide you in our relationship and stay away from trying to find your own experience of life. It was a vital, vital complex. And the two trees have some major differences. The tree of life is a dependent relationship. Meaning I'm dependent upon God for everything. God supplies my breath, God supplies my food, God supplies my life, God supplies my hope, God supplies my promises, God supplies my protection, God provides my provision, God provides everything. I'm dependent upon God. But the, pre, the tree of knowledge or experience is independent. Meaning I want to experience it for myself and see what I want to do. We call this being a teenager. Adam and Eve had to be between the ages of 13 and 18, maybe 22. Meaning, I know what you're saying, but I want to experience it for myself. That's why when you tell your kids the whole time growing up, don't do this, don't do that. If you do this, it'll hurt you. If you touch the stove, it'll burn you. If, if you have sex before you're married, it'll hurt you in your future relationships. If, if you start partying in this direction, it can lead to greater drugs and greater problems later on. We start telling our kids, trust me, be dependent upon me and my experiences. These things bring consequences and pain in your life. But around the age of 14 to 18, we start saying, well, I know what my mom and dad said, but I wanna touch the stove and see for myself if it's really hot. And much like with Adam and Eve, we tell them there's consequences to that. God told them, if you eat of this tree, you'll surely die. The problem is they didn't die immediately. So when you tell your kid, don't touch the stove, it's hot, if they touch the stove and they don't get burned, what are they gonna do? They're gonna touch the stove again. Hey, if, if you go out and you drink and you drive, here's the consequences for this. And if they don't get caught the first time, they'll do it again because they're basing their standard on an experience, not on trust. In Ecclesiastes chapter nine, I think either chapter six or verse nine says, the reason people sin is because the punishment for sin is not immediate. Meaning if, if, if you were to sin and your consequence was immediate, 
no one would ever sin again. Could you imagine being in a church and, and somebody gossips over in a section, all of a sudden the ground swells up and swallows them down? What were you going to say again? Or maybe the first time you have sex before you're married and you get pregnant. Or maybe the first time you party and you become an addict. See, the experience drives the knowledge. And God is saying, I don't want the experience to drive the knowledge. I want my relationship to drive the knowledge. In another way, this tree, God is the source. Meaning everything flows from God to me. I mean, everything I need comes from God. He is the source of everything. But in this one, man is the source. They had to take the fruit from the tree. They had to, to grab it and take it from themselves. The tree of life, it was given to them. It was supplied to them. And it's a crazy concept. But in the Talmud, which is a, a historical Hebrew text, when they start trying to discuss the tree, what was the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Was it an apple tree like the little paintings? Was it a fig tree? In the Talmud, they actually believe it was a grapevine. And what happened was they believed the grape had blessings and cursings attached to it. The grape juice could be a blessing of joy, but the wine could be a curse of pain and evil. And as they partook, it changed their judgment and they began making decisions based on what they felt like instead of what they needed. On the other side, the tree of life is spiritual. It's a spiritual relationship, it's a spiritual flow, but on this side, it's fleshly and sensual. For John Paul Jackson, say it this way, the tree of life was a, 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 a spiritual, a spiritual flow, a spiritual experience, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil was spirituality. It has to do with desires. They saw that it was good and they desired it. There was emotions and passion involved. There was a will involved, which is what every religion in the world tries to tap into. New Age tries to tap into the spirituality of desires and passions and will. Islam tries to tap into desires and passions and will. The tree of life tries to give you the will of God, the desires of God, and the passions of God. See, one is spiritual. When it's spiritual, you reap all the benefits or the fruit of the spirit. But when it's fleshly, you reap all the benefits of the flesh. It's sensual. They started seeing. Now they saw themselves naked. Now they saw their shame. So not only when they ate it, now they moved from spiritual perspective and viewpoint now to emotional and sensual. Now there's feelings involved. Now there's sight involved. Now there's touch involved. Now there's feeling involved. Now there's all these other senses involved. And God is saying, no, no, no. I don't want you to live based on your five senses. I want you to live based on your spirit. Is what Jesus said the same thing. He says, I, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that flows out of the mouth of God. And I don't want you to walk by sight, but I want you to walk by faith. One is faith-based, one is sight-based. When you start living off your sight, the things you see will look differently than what you want them to be. This one has to do with paradise. The tree of life sustained paradise. It sustained the beauty and perfection of what God created. But this one comes with the wilderness. 
There's a wandering. Why? Because now I'm not being led by the Spirit. I'm being led by my sight, my hearing, my feeling, my emotions. Now I'm being led by my flesh and my sensuality. That's why we see people moving towards sexual sin in our day and age because they're being led by sensual things rather than spiritual things. We're moving from paradise to the wilderness. That's why so many young people cannot discern God's will. They're eating off the wrong tree. If you eat off the tree of knowledge, you're gonna be led by knowledge or experience which will take you away from the paradise and lead you into your own wilderness. And you wander through life and you can't comprehend because you're being led by your sensuality, your emotions, your desires, rather than the will of God. And last but not least, the tree of life, everything was good. Everything. When God created everything, he said, he looked at it and he said it was We'll try that one more time. When God created everything, he looked at it and said, it is everything. So my problem with Adam and Eve is they're looking for knowledge or experience, but they already know good. Everything they know is good. Everything they know is perfect, actually. And so if they're wanting to know something, if it's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can mark off good because they already knew it. So now once they eat off of it, now they know good, but they also know evil. And see, when you live off knowledge, you may know some good. You may know a little bit of the good things of life. When you're led by the flesh, you may experience some good in life, but you also get the evil attached to it. So you may have good blessings, and we can just keep going with all the cultural things. You may be able to experience the blessings of sex, the intimacy of sex, but you also get the evil side, the evil consequences attached to it. You may experience the benefits of relationship, the goodness of relationships, but you also get the the cursing or the evil consequences that come attached to it. See, when you eat off the tree of life, everything is good and perfect. When I'm being led by the Spirit, everything's good and perfect. When I live off my knowledge and my experience and I start deciding what's good and evil, I'll get the good, but I'll also get the bad. The problem with it is Eve already knew everything that was good. She was deceived by thinking that good was evil. What the tree of knowledge actually does is they wanted the knowledge, follow me, They wanted the knowledge to redefine good and evil. They wanted to redefine good and evil based on their own experience. In the day and age we're in now, who is God to say what I should do? Who is God to determine what's right or wrong? He's such an archaic God. The Bible's too old of a book to tell me how to live today. Christianity is outdated. The gospel's outdated. We just need forgiveness. No, no, there's a standard that is laid out for us. And God is saying, eat from the tree of life. This is the standard. It's all good. And we keep trying to move back to the tree of knowledge, meaning let me decide based on what I feel like, what I experience, what I know. Let me decide, let me experience, let me determine what's right for me and what's wrong for me. Let me decide what's right for you and what's wrong for you. Let me decide. And we keep living off this tree. And what happened was, God says, okay, now that you want to know for yourself, fend for yourself. Because now this tree is off limits. Because you've already made an attempt to be like me. 
Because only a creator can determine what's right and what's wrong. Only the creator can determine, can determine good and evil. So if you've already made that step, if I let you live for eternity, with that step, my throne is at stake. And I cannot let my throne be at stake. He's saying there's a separation. See, the tree of life brings life. Life means connection. There's connection between God and man. There's communion, there's connection at stake at the tree of life. But the tree of knowledge, there's separation. And for the very first time, once they partook of the tree of knowledge, for the first time they experienced a separation from God. And that separation brought what? Shame. Brought fear. Brought isolation. And from there it just kept on going. And what happens is we lose sight that the standard is not a standard to try to push us out of the garden, it's a standard to try to keep us in the garden. Like that was the whole purpose. Don't eat of this tree because I want you to stay in the garden. I want you to stay in paradise. And we start trying to discern things and we start looking at the blessings of God as a curse of God. Here's what it looks like. People begin to walk in deception when they sacrifice the blessings God has already given them. They sacrifice all the goodness God has already given them because they feel like God is holding something better back from them. In the moment you feel like God is holding something back from you is the moment you start chasing after the thing that God is holding back from you because when you take that, you sacrifice this. And so many people have sacrificed we can, their families, their marriages, their ministries, their businesses, their reputation, their relationships. They sacrificed something God had already given them because they thought God's holding something back that's better. God is holding back more blessings. And once you get to that part, you lose the blessings and promises of God. You see with the Israelites, I used to think that if people could just see God move, in my Pentecostal expression, if God, if God would just let people see the signs and wonders and miracles, if I could just see somebody's hand that was withered grow back, then people would believe. You know what I've learned? If they won't believe because God is God, they're not going to believe at all. The Hebrews, four million people. Say four million. Four million people. God showed ten plagues, ten miracles to the last one being the spirit of death going over the entire country of Egypt. The firstborn of every single family dying, except for those that had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. The last miracle, they're standing in front of the Red Sea, not knowing if they're going to make it or they're going to be slaughtered by Pharaoh out of his anger of losing his firstborn son. They watch Moses reach his hands out, reach his staff out. They watch the waters part and they walk across on dry land only to look back and watch the waters close in on all the Egyptians and wash them away. I would think, if I didn't believe in God, I think I believe in him now. Like, I'm pretty sure there's, there's some man upstairs doing something. But as soon as they get in the wilderness, they start questioning God's authority. They start questioning God's ability. They get worried about not having enough water even though they watch God just stop the Red Sea from flowing. 
And what we see is all of a sudden God intended for them to be led out of Egypt into the promised land by what? The Spirit of God. Cloud by day, fire by night. Cloud by day, fire by night. And he wanted them to be led by the Spirit of God. That was the intention. He wanted them to be led by the Spirit of life. The the Spirit of of God leading them through from wilderness to the promise. But as soon as God realized they were not gonna follow the cloud by day and the fire by night, as soon as he realized that the deliverance didn't really impact their relationship with him, he adds a layer to help them know how to follow God correctly. He added a layer that was not just internal guidance, but also external guidance. That wasn't just nuance, it's also black and white. We call that the law. Like the law didn't come first. I think many times we think of our, our, our Christianity, we think it was the law, then Jesus. No, it started with the tree of life or the spirit of God first. It started with the spirit of God leading us, being gracious to us, being based in faith. Then the law came into play. Why would the law come into play? Because as people, we are very poor at discerning the spirit of God. As people, we're very poor at following the spirit of God. Sometimes we need more than internal guidance. Sometimes we need black and white directions. And God says, listen, if you're not gonna listen to my spirit, if you're not gonna follow my spirit, I'm gonna give you something you can follow. I'm gonna make it real simple for you. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Can you imagine God telling them? He just brought them out of Egypt. And the very first commandment is, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. He shouldn't even have to tell them that. He had to make it black and white. He had to make it as easy as possible to know this is the difference between good and evil. The only problem with that is that Eve was not deceived by evil. Eve was deceived by good. She looked at the tree and said, it is good for food. And what I've learned, and what I want you to learn, is that for most of us, it's very easy to discern between good and evil. Like, like we, we can discern good and evil, but it's very difficult to discern between good and God. A lot of times what is good is not God. Many times good is second best to what God actually wants for you. And the greatest deception is when you start thinking good is God's best. When you start thinking the good that is offered right in front of you is God's best for you. And so what happens is we need more than just an internal guide. In Deuteronomy chapter one, verse eight, I wanna read it to you. It says this way, I have set the land before you. I Meaning that's a promise. God has given them the land as it says in New King James. He's given you the land already, that's a promise. He says, now go in and take possession of the land. So there's a promise and there's a command. I believe the promise is the internal guidance. It's the internal voice of God, that promise that leads me from faith to faith, from glory to glory. But the command is the external voice of God saying, do this, don't do that. We need both if we're gonna discern between good and evil. We need both if we're gonna discern between good and evil. 
We need an external voice and an internal voice to discern good and evil. We need a command and a promise. The command is the what, the promise is the why. God says, you can eat of this tree all you want. The promise is, and you'll have everything you need. You'll have everything you want. You'll be in paradise. That's the promise. And he says, but don't eat of that tree. The command is, don't eat of this tree. But the why is, there's a promise attached. Every command of God is attached to a promise. And the reason legalism doesn't work is they teach the command and they lose sight of the promise. The reason so many people got burnt in the mid-1900s is because all these preachers started preaching all the commands of God. They started preaching death, hell, and fire. They taught the command, but they lost sight of the promise. The command is not just go in and take the land. It's because God has already given it to you. The command is don't be afraid, but the why is because God will be with you. Every command of God is attached to a promise. And when you realize there's a command, that's a standard. But here's the why. It's an internal standard that guides me and leads me. What you learn and once you realize that every command God gives you, he gives it to you because he's trying to protect a promise. If our young people would learn, I'm not telling my kids what to do and what not to do because I hate them. I'm telling them because I want to protect the promise that's inside of them. Like my teenagers think every time I tell them something, well, God, you just hate me. Dad, you just, you just had me to, so I could do all the chores around the house. No, if I didn't have you, there'd be no chores. <laughs> like quit eating off the stupid tree of knowledge. I'm trying to give you life. Like every command, every command is attached to a promise. And when you realize the more commands God gives you, the greater the promises he's trying to protect. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the release. The greater the persecution, the greater the, the, the victory. And when you realize that, and here's the two, two ways now, the internal and external voice we have guiding us between good and evil and also good in God. One, the external voice. The external voice of God that helps me discern right and wrong, makes it black and white, is God's own word, meaning this Bible, I believe it from, this page that says the Holy Bible presented to blank, I believe that page is from God. All the way back to this map, I believe that's from God. I believe everything in this book is given to me as a standard of what life is like and what life should be like. Everything in this book is good and wrong and wrong and good and right and wrong and good and evil. Nobody can tell me differently. I don't care what you feel like. I don't care what you think. This is God's standard to me. Paul told Timothy, you have to keep the standard. He said in 2 Timothy 3, 16, he says all scripture. Everybody say all. All, not just the ones I agree with. There's scriptures I don't like. There's scriptures you probably don't like. There's scriptures I haven't quite caught up to yet. There's scriptures I'm still working on. But it says all scripture is breathed out by God. If he's the creator, he has the authority to speak a standard to the created. For teaching, I, I love the teaching side of God's word. God, teach me something. God, I, teach me with your voice. God, teach me, but also says, for reproof. Mm -mm. Pastor, uh, you know, I will do this Bible reading plan, but I didn't know I had to be reproofed. Then it says correction, and for the training of what? Righteousness. 
Not happiness, but righteousness. And what I've learned is believers will read the Bible as long as it tells them what they want to hear. But Paul is telling Timothy, this word is written to correct, to train, and reproof for righteousness, meaning teaching us what is right, what is godly, what is good. So every time I read this word, every time I read it, every time I read God's word, I should experience the life-giving breath of God, meaning the promises of God. Every time I open it up, if this is God-breathed, all scripture is God-breathed, I should experience a breath of life every time I read it. I should experience the promises of God, hope, encouragement being poured into my spirit. But I should also experience the life-saving reproof. I should experience a life-saving correction. Meaning when I read God's word, I should experience life-giving breath, but also life-saving correction. When was the last time when you opened God's word, did it correct you? When was the last time when you read your Bible, you opened up your phone, you went through your Bible reading plan, or you opened up the YouVersion Bible app? When was the last time you read it and you said, mm, that hurt just a little bit? Mm, I really wish that wasn't in there. Because here's what we do. We read Instagram Bible scriptures that are all designed to encourage and give life. But what I've learned is you can't just live based on searching for life. You have to know what to stay away from as well. Thomas Watson, a great Puritan, said, the word of God is like the laver in the old tabernacle. It's, it's a glass bowl in which when you look down, you can see all your flaws, but you can also wash yourself in it to be clean. But when I look in this word, I should see my flaws, but I should also see the answer to my flaws. I should see the promises of God, but also see the commands that help protect the promises. It's almost like if you go, if you travel a bunch and you go to TSA, I, and let me say this, I hate TSA. When they talk about government shutdowns, I'm like, praise God, start with a TSA. There's a 400 people, two lanes open, no one's doing anything, they're just watching and doing nothing. But there's all these signs. These signs say, you cannot bring these things on board the airplane. The problem with, half the people don't read the signs, so they start going through the checkpoint, and they start going through their bags and pulling those things out. What that sign is, it's an external voice of giving us a real clear black and white. These things are allowed, these things are not. The commandments of God, or the word of God, is the external voice that says, this is about as black and white. This is black, this is white. This is right, this is wrong. That's great for helping us discern good and evil. But the Bible's not always clear on what's God's will for me or what's the difference between good and God for me. So God says, I'm gonna give you black and white, but I'm also gonna give you an internal voice that'll help you discern not just good and evil, but good and God. That internal voice is God's spirit inside of us. So not only do I have the roadmap, but I have the person riding along with me who knows the way better than anybody else. I have the black and white, but also have all the gray areas that may come up that I know what is best for me. In John 16, 8, it says it this way. It says the Holy Spirit will come, the comforter will come. He'll come to do what? Convict the world of sin and convict us of righteousness. Meaning, God gives us the Spirit to help us know righteousness more than just goodness. What it means is to layer deeper than the Word of God. 
It's a layer deeper of knowledge to the word of God. The Holy Spirit will help me discern not just good and evil. Good and evil is easy. That's the top layer of knowledge. But the deeper you go, the more mature you go, the more knowledge or discernment you need to discern between good and best. Because the more I dwell at the tree of life, the more I realize the enemy wants to talk me out of it. If I'm at the tree of life, very rarely am I gonna leave life for evil. Very rarely am I gonna leave life for cursings. Very rarely am I gonna leave perfection for imperfection. So the only way I can be deceived as a true believer is to fall into the trap of accepting good rather than God's best. And you see that throughout the scriptures. Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, thought he was doing a good thing. He thought he was helping the Jewish kingdom. See, we're not deceived by evil. We're deceived by good that's clothed in evil. And the Spirit of God helps us discern. It's like the TSA checkpoint. If those signs are the external voice, the black and white, when you start walking through the x-ray machine, what does it do? It catches anything that passed through the sign it starts to pick up on. What they can actually do is they can change the sensitivity on those x-ray machines, the body scanner, which I don't know if this is just me, but I'm not a big Star Wars guy, but I remember this little kid watching Han Solo being frozen nitrogen like this. And every time at TSA and they tell me to stand like this, I'm thinking, you ain't freezing me like Han Solo. <laughs> what are they doing? They're checking to see what the Word didn't get, the internal machine will. And the Holy Spirit, what the Word doesn't get, the Holy Spirit will get. And he'll convict you, and he always convicts you by what? Pointing to the righteousness that you have in Christ. And he's not going to say, you dirty, filthy sinner. He's going to say, look at what you're supposed to be. Look at the beauty and the perfection. Look at the promises you have in Jesus. Look at these. You're not called to live down here. You're called to live up here. The Holy Spirit points us back to the promise. Instead of the command, he points us to the promise and the why behind the commands. And we need, if anything, we need to discern between good and God. Why? I don't want to settle for good when God has best for me. The problem is we try to fluctuate between the two trees. Sunday morning, I'm faith-based. Sunday morning, I'm living, I'm living, I'm dependent on God. Sunday morning, God is the source. Sunday morning is spiritual. Sunday morning is like paradise. I'm worshiping like they worship in heaven. Sunday is all good. Tuesday, I'm a little bit more independent. Tuesday, I'm the source. Tuesday, it's a little bit more based on my flesh and how I feel and, and my sensuality and what I see and what's real to me. And, and, and I start going through those. But see, we try to fluctuate between the two. And as society, we try to find how far can I get, or how close can I get to the tree of experience without crossing over too far. Maybe that's what Adam and Eve did. They knew they were prohibited from that tree. And they thought, well, we won't eat of it. We'll just get close enough to kind of see what God was talking about. And if you really dig into that, Eve wasn't even there when God told Adam not to eat of the tree. So people have kicked this around. But if you read the scripture, Eve was not created yet. And so Eve was the one that was deceived. You know what that teaches me? You can't live off secondary revelation. 
parents. What that means is your kid cannot live off secondary information. Your kid cannot live based on your testimony. Your kid cannot live based on your Bible reading or your prayers. Your kid has to have their own experience with God if they're gonna stay at the tree of life. That's why youth camp, Pastor Dillon's talking about, it's so important. We're trying to get them to have an experience at the tree of life so they're not confused and deceived eating off the tree of knowledge of the world. Eve had no clue. All she had was Adam telling her, which is the worst case scenario for the husband to tell the wife not to do something. <laughs> and I could you imagine Adam's telling Eve, hey, babe, like, we're naked. No one even, like, we don't even know it. We have everything. Look how good and awesome this place is. We, we have everything we need. He says, hey, but before I forget, you know, this relationship's going really well, like first date, but hey, I need to give you a commandment. First date? Who do you think you're talking to like that? We can eat of everything, but this tree, don't touch it. Could you imagine? Second day. I'm just going to look at it for a little bit. Seeing how close you can get to it without breaking the commandment. What I've learned is the closer you push to the edge, the more you push to the edge, the more likely you are to find the edge. And the edge always cuts. And we live in a day and age where everybody wants to live on the edge of right and wrong. People ask, Was it, is it wrong to drink? Wrong question. Is it wrong, uh, is, is homosexuality a sin? Wrong question. Is it wrong to have sex before you're married if you're engaged? Wrong question. See, we keep trying to get away from the, the tree of life and start trying to get our own experiences and we try to find which experience builds the line. Here's what Paul told Timothy. This scripture is, is beneficial to me my entire life. You have these two trees tree of life, of faith, of spirit. Then you have the tree of experience and knowledge. And, and we fight between these two. What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is evil? Here's what Paul told Timothy. He said, so flee. Everybody say flee. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Instead of trying to find the middle ground, Instead of trying to find the, the in-between between right and wrong, I'm not, I'm not called to find out where right and wrong the line is. I'm not called to find where black start, stops and white starts. I'm not, I am called to pursue what is right. As believers, we're not called to determine right and wrong. We are called to pursue what is right. He says, flee. Fleeing to me means running. Flee youthful passions or youthful experiences. Flee youthful desires. Flee the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Flee and pursue that which is right. And here's what happens when I pursue something. You know what I'm looking at? When I'm pursuing what's right, I am focused on what is right. I don't even see what's wrong anymore. It changes my perspective. When I pursue something, it determines what I see. And when I determine what I see, when I see right, I will do right. When I see godly, I will do godly. When I see faith, I'll do faith. If I'm pursuing in the right direction, I don't have to worry about any lines in the sand. As parents, we need to quit teaching our kids, trying to find lines, just teach them, pursue what's right. 
Pursue what's godly. Pursue what's pure. Pursue what's lovely. Pursue. Quit trying to play the game. Adam played the game, they lost everything. The Israelites tried to play the game and spent 40 years in the wilderness because they were wandering around the wrong tree. God says, pursue what is right. Stay in that communion. Stay in that place. And here's how I'm going to tie it up. If you have a Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 2. My pursuit will determine what I eat off of. If I'm eating off the tree of experience, I will eat the fruit of my experience. But if I eat off the tree of life, I'm going to experience life. And God's amazing purpose and plan for us was to live at the tree of life. So much so that the Bible goes from tree of life to tree of life. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear. Look at your neighbor and say, I think you have an ear. If they don't, then pray for them. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of... At the end of time, God is trying to get us back to the tree of life. Do you see the big story here? It goes, God says, Adam, I want you to live right here. Adam, you get up. They said, well, you know, that's good, but we're, we're going to try to be around this. We're going to live here for a minute. God brings the Hebrews out of Egypt. He says, listen, I want you to live off the spear. I want you to follow the spear. Live off the tree of life. They said, ah, oh, you know, this experience thing is pretty good for us. I can feel it. It's real. It's tangible. God says, whoa, whoa, I'll give you the law that he brings Jesus. He says, listen, we're not trying to live off the knowledge of good and evil. We're not trying to live off the law. This is the spirit of the law. Be led by the spirit not by the flesh. He gives us the tree again, and at the end of time, he says, we're gonna live at the tree of life all over again. God is a promise giver. God is a promise giver, and he gives us commands in order to protect the promise. If you get nothing else, get that. God is the creator. He sets a standard based on who he is, his character and his nature. But we keep trying to redefine God's standards. We keep trying to redefine God's good and evil qualities for us, right and wrong, based on the measurements we can attain. And God says, you can't attain them anyway. You have the inability to attain them anyway. What I need you to do is leave that tree and come eat off the tree of life. And his name is Jesus. And at the end of times, Every single one of us will sit at that tree. We eat the tree, eat off the tree of life that gives us eternal life forevermore. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm just going to ask two questions. First question is this. Maybe you've been in this room and you've heard me talk about a standard. And when you hear the word standard, you think of law. You think of commandments, you think of thou's and thou shall nots. You'd be living in a, in a relationship with God that's fear-based and legalistic because you didn't realize the commands were only given to protect the promise that God wants to give you. 
And he said, today, I, I just need a realization. I want to acknowledge to God that there's been an issue between me and him because I've been dealing with him based on the commandments rather than the promises. If that's you, he says, you know, I, I need to just acknowledge, confess before God. I've been frustrated with our relationship. And I realized it was me. And I just want to dwell at the tree of life, not on the, tr- the tree of legalism. That's you, every head bow, every eye closed. That's you, just slip your hand up real quick. Thank you, hold the room, thank you. Father, we thank you. That the commands may be the what, but the why is the promises. I thank you for every hand in here is a hand of promise. That the hand is attached to a spirit that you've placed every promise of Jesus in. And every promise is yes and amen in you. And I thank you that the commandments give us the parameters and give us the standard to stay inside of your promise. Promises of joy, promises of hope, promises of provision, and promises of eternal life. And I thank you that we can make a switch in our minds from being commandment keepers to being promise keepers. And I pray that you bless them, that you seal this moment, Holy Spirit, in their minds to get them to sit and rest in your promises instead of your commandments. Second question. Maybe you're sitting in this room and you've never thought about the standards of God. Maybe you've tried to have a relationship with God based on your standards of yourself, and you've redefined some of the standards that God has for you based on your own character. The things that you struggle with, you've now told God should be okay. The things that you don't struggle with, now you elevate as kind of your trophy case to God. That God, I'm really good at coming to church. But God, I've really changed the standards when it comes to sexuality. And I need, to com- I need to repent this morning that I've been trying to redefine what's right and wrong in my life, what's good and evil in my life based on my own character rather than defining it based on God's character. And I just want to repent right now before God and tell God, God, I want your external voice, your word to guide my mindset between right and wrong. And God, I need your spirit to help me to discern between good and God's best. And God, I want to be led by you. I want to dwell at the tree of life. I want to rest in the tree of life. I'm tired of all my experiences of evil. I'm tired of all my experiences of good, and I just want life. And we call that salvation, where I quit eating at experience and I start eating out of the hand of God. If that's you, So you know what? I've been redefining God's standard. Right now, I just repent, and I receive God's standard for my life, which is Jesus. If that's you, every head bow, every eye closed. If that's you, just slip your hand up real quick right where you are. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Father, we thank you. We thank you for a perfect standard. A standard that is upon your holiness, based upon your throne, based upon your kingdom. And Father, we thank you that you brought your kingdom to earth to display this standard. And Father, we all know in this room, none of us could ever reach your standard. None of us could ever please you based on our efforts or our works. For Father, they all fall short of your glory. But Father, we thank you that you made a way for us to meet the standard. As we hide ourselves in your Son, who meets every single standard, fulfills every single law, as we place ourselves and our trust in him, Father, we pass through your commands with him. 
So we thank you for life. We thank you for promises. We thank you for hope. But above that, we thank you for the blood of Jesus who washes us and cleanses us and moves us from one tree to the other. And so Father, we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. If you would, stand to your feet. I've got a couple of next steps for you as we dismiss. One, next Sunday, 8 a.m. Everybody say 8. 9.30. 11.15. I'll say that a couple next steps. One, we have Baptism Sunday coming up May 5th. That is a chance for you to tell the world that you're a new person. My reputation is different. My sh- I don't have shame anymore. I'm a new person in Christ. And I show the world that through baptism. Not through church attendance, not through Instagram or Facebook, through baptism. Let the world know how much I love Jesus. So you can text the word baptism to that number up there, and we'll get you set up for baptism. Also, May 4th is our Essentials Intensive. So you've been at chapel for a while and you haven't connected, you want to know how to get connected. Well, how do I become a member? How do I serve? How do I find out what's going on and how I can be a greater part of the impact chapel is making here? Uh, That is where you do that. You can text that number Saturday morning. We'll start at, I think, 8.30 or 9, and we're done by noon. So it's a, you get all three steps out of the way. Outside of that, as you leave today, there'll be buckets at the door for our loaves and fishes offering. Some really cool news. One, Toya and a team of people, Ray Sartain, Dave Davis, a couple others, went to L.A. to the Dream Center there, which is an amazing ministry that it does so much ministry, you can't even comprehend it. They have an old hospital. They house a 1,000 people and feed them every single day. They do veteran ministry, homeless ministry, street ministry, Outreach ministry, rehab ministry, feeding ministry, poverty ministry, all these ministries, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we wanted to learn from them. We wanted to tell them, hey, here's what we do. We do a really good work. We want to do better. We want to make a greater impact. So it usually takes six months to 12 months to join the Dream Center Network. They expedited ours within six weeks. So we are now part of the Dream Center Network, and then we close on the new facility this Tuesday across the street. And so we'll do a grand opening of that. So give God a big round of applause. And so still feeding people every single day. So as you give, all that offering goes to food. None of it goes to overhead or anything like that. So as we leave, just make sure you give at the door. Let's read the creed together. I was lost, hopeless, broken, and spiritually dead. But God loves me enough to save me by his grace through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now in Jesus, I am forgiven, made brand new. I am set apart. I now pursue God with passion and purpose. I am not alone. I am part of God's family as I build a community of growth, prayer, love, and mission. I am renewing my mind with his word. I am empowered by God's spirit to discover my purpose and develop my gifts to make an impact in the shoals and the world to advance God's kingdom here on earth, all for the glory of God. Hope you have a great rest of Sunday. We will see you next Sunday, which will be Easter. Have a great week.